Hello, and welcome to No Lights Paranormal, where three paranormal investigators sit down and discuss spooky stories on the web or paranormal stories on the web, and then debate later. My name is Joe. I am the lead investigator. My name is Teresa. I am the researcher who believes that every building has a story, much to the chagrin of my poor husband. I am the alchemist of all things electrical, your tech wizard, Alex. Wow. <laughs> Alright, you shortened it down to one that week. I like that. Alright, today we are going to discuss the spiritual movement that happened in between 1860 to 1920. And yes, that's our dog in the background. He says hello as well. So, before we get into that, I will offer some announcements. We've realized that some of you guys have started following us on multiple platforms, and we thank you very much for that and appreciate it. And so does Red. And we just want to make an announcement because we realized that the website was a little bit messed up, so we've kind of fixed that, and I'll let Teresa, who is the website designer, describe it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old. I'm old school. So back in the day, they had this cool thing called cPanel where I could do HTML, HTML all day long, design all kinds of cool stuff, do overlays and fades and blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, point to the story is these days they have this weird, like, click and drop panel thing that's made for people who don't know anything about web pages. And that's great for those people. But it's got me all tripped up and I gotta figure out all these grandiose ideas in my head and kind of kind of simplify them to to you know, yeah. Anyway, it's up. You can visit us at nolightsparanormal.com. Uh, we also have links on there for our Facebook page with which is also No Lights Paranormal. We are on Twitter, we're on Instagram, go figure all of those crazy things. And then of course don't forget uh, to give us likes and shares. And we do really, really appreciate everybody who's listening. And if you have any ideas for what you want to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to send us a message on Facebook or an email at No Lights Paranormal uh, website, which is info at nolightsparanormal.com or nolightsparanormal at gmail.com. But anyway, yeah, the spiritualist movement. Yes, let's get into it. So actually... Um Due to the nature of the information that I myself found, uh, I am going to risk it for the biscuit that you <laughs> did not find the same thing. And given the nature of what we're talking about, I'm going to defer back to you and let you go first tonight. Ooh. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. So It's like a tennis match. Right, that was interesting. So what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to give a bit of a history of what spiritualism is and what the spiritualist movement was, uh, is, yeah. So, um, as Joe was saying, it kicked off somewhere in between like the 1840s and the 1920s, 1860s, somewhere like that. Anyway, spiritualist was actually a metaphysical way of thinking. Um, it became a quite literal religious movement over the years, um, but the idea was really, really simple. It was just that people believed that after you pass away, your awareness still continues even though you're gone. Um, so people believe that spirits could uh, continue to grow, continue to learn, um, and, and communicate with the living and even give us uh, useful and insightful knowledge and you know talk about events and give us heads up and warnings for things. 
And even, you know, these people have already passed, so they could even potentially tell us about God and heaven or even the other one. The afterlife. Right, the afterlife in general. So uh, mediums were very, very widely used during this time because it was a belief, and I'm not really sure who started this belief, but it, the, the idea was that they, they believed mediums were the only type of people who had the ability to communicate with spirits that normal folks like you and I could not. So in order to do anything where you're asking or communicating or, or giving information or getting information from the other side, you have to have a medium to sort of act as your middleman. Mediums had these people called spirit guides, which were literal spirits that they felt comfortable with and that they thought gave them useful information time and time again, so they would constantly turn to one or two or three certain spirits that every single time they would be trying to communicate with the other side, they would call on those specific spirits to commune and give them information. So that's where spirit guides came from. Uh, so literal trusted spirits. So I, I have a whole lot of information to talk about with like different techniques that were used to communicate with the paranormal during the spiritualist movement. Um, do you guys want me to get into that and just keep talking or yeah, can we hear your story? Um, so mine's not really a story. Again, it's probably a lot of information that is not counter to your points, but I would say probably the flip side of your coin. So let's just... Well, then I'm going to start and then you just cut me off and do your flip side whenever you get an opportunity to. Absolutely. Let's just okay. uh, let you roll and see where it goes from there. So the very first thing that I'm sure everybody knows about, seances. Seances were probably one of the biggest sort of cultural things, um, an actual event where people would sit around a table and, you know, they'd turn the lights down and they'd light some candles and they'd all join hands and they'd call on the spirit guides of the medium who was leading the seance. And then they would ask questions to that spirit about um, maybe life events or, you know, how is this going to happen or tell me a little bit about, you know, what's going on with the war or whatever. Because keep in mind, um, the spiritualism movement was actually started in part because of World War One, And people were, of course, missing their loved ones who had passed during the war. And, you know, women are wanting to talk to their husbands. They're wanting to talk to their sons. And spiritualism became a way for them to be able to communicate with the other side, or at least they thought so. No. <clears throat> so, anywho, um, seances were were just they were a huge huge deal uh it actually also the word seance comes from a french word that means session which i thought was pretty awesome too so just thought i'd throw that in there not session one but session gotcha. yes not Spirit session session. Yeah. session nine was actually a really good paranormal movie exactly i've seen it um so what would happen is um like i said they would all sit around and they would kind of do their thing and just be sort of quiet. The medium would call upon the spirit that is their spirit guide, and they would ask questions and say, you know, you know, is my is my husband over there? You know, can I talk to my husband who passed away in the war? And it gave people a whole lot of comfort to think that they were being able to communicate with their lost loved ones. Um, of course, with that came a, a whole 
a whole healthy amount of skepticism as well. So, you know, there were people who were saying, you know, it's hoaxes, these people are just really, really great at being generalists and coming up with generalized answers that could kind of match to anybody's questions or needs. And if, a lot of times that was very, very true. But I do believe that there were certain people out there that were probably pretty legitimate. Mm. Um, so with that said, the Fox Sisters, has anyone ever heard of the Fox Sisters? No, but I bet they're cute. They were not. They were raging boogerheads. Much like today's women, they will take your money. Yeah, yeah. Fact. The Fox sisters were three sisters from uh, New York who would actually um, hold public seances. Mm. Uh, literally, like, middle of the street in their town in New York. I mean, craziness. And, you know, of course, over time, that, that sort of became almost like a carnival sideshow, and then people would hire them and pay them big money to come to their houses. And they would, you know, spit out all sorts of things and make noises and, you know, smoke running across rooms and crazy stuff like that. And actually came out later on that, you know, they were completely hoaxing the entire thing. Like, they admitted that, yeah. that they were hoaxing. So this is also where the Fox sisters would have spirits answer questions with knocking sounds so it'd be like you know knock once for yes and twice for no that kind of thing so that's actually kind of where we got that from and why we do knocking oh, nowadays huh. yeah yeah i thought that was cool um so there are a couple of other things as well so as far as the mediums go um there were different types of mediums of course you have the spiritual mediums who just people who believe that they can communicate with the dead on a literal communication level, like hearing them ver like verbally speak to them. Uh, and then you also had uh, channelers. People who were channeling mediums were actually really interesting. These people would sit and get into sort of like a meditative state. And it wasn't really possession, it was more, channeling is, it's so difficult to describe because it's not possession, but it's, it's kind of a very, a very, very mild, basic form of possession where spirits can actually speak directly through the medium who's channeling. Right. So... Like a spirit box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Use a medium as a spirit box. A meat box, yeah. <laughs> I, that's a terrible term, but yes, exactly. Um, and then, of course, there were the ones who... Um, obviously fake that one, too, so... <laughs> Um, let's see here. I wrote so many notes, it's ridiculous. Trance mediums. Trance mediums were awesome. These people would literally go into like a trance-like state and just sort of like make funny sounds and wiggle around and, yeah. you know, just, just crazy <clears throat> stuff like they're in some sort of a weird trance, like the spirits are trying to take over their body or something. It was, it was really interesting. Um, one really cool thing that mediums used in the past was called the uh, trumpet, which is literally just a horn-shaped metal tube. Think about record players way back in the old days that had the big horns. Yeah. Well, that's cool literally exactly. That's literally what it was. So, it, it, the the idea was that if a spirit could manage to make a whispering sound into the small end, it would amplify it to an audible tone for humans to hear. This was used for a long, long time, actually, way before. You know, obviously we didn't have recorders back in the day. Um, they did spirit slates, which literally is like two little handheld chalkboards, and they take them and they face them together, 
and then they put a piece of chalk in the middle of them and just leave them sit somewhere. And it moves the board. You, well, what, uh, apparently what's supposed to happen is when you take these two pieces of chalkboard and you slap them together with chalk inside, once you hold your section, you pull these, these pieces apart and the spirits supposedly use the chalk to write on the chalkboards on the inside. Okay. So there would be almost like an automatic writing thing, but no human intervention. Right. Uh, automatic writing was a big one, too. This is another one where someone would go into, a, like, a medium specifically would go into a very trance-like state, only they'd be holding a pen and paper, and the spirits could speak through them, and they would literally use the living person's hand to write names or notes or specific words or messages on the paper that you could then go back and take a peek at. Uh, seance tables. This was huge. Seance tables are very, very thin, light tables um, that would tip or turn or twist or sometimes even like levitate off the ground. Not very far, but a little bit. Mm -hmm. And these were supposedly things from the spirits. Like, you know, wiggle the table if you're here. Or levitate the table to let us know that you're here, you're listening to us. Um, a lot of this actually turned out to be super, super trickery as well. Where, yeah. you know... Magician's trick. Yeah, exactly. Magician's tricks. So, fun stuff there. Um, because of the serious amount of skepticism that was going on, they actually created this thing called a spirit cabinet, which was quite literally a portable closet with like just little tiny lightweight poles and then of course the canvas that goes around it. And they would put the medium inside of this spirit cabinet and sometimes even bind them with ropes, like their hands or their body with their arms, whatever. That way it would quote unquote prove that the medium was not doing anything to manipulate the results with the table or the seance or the candles or the lighting or anything like that. Um, and, and so they'd just be stuck in there the whole time. This is also where we ended up coming up with the idea of when you sit in a room all by yourself, almost like immersion, and you are blindfolded, you have uh, some type of, of hearing thing on that makes it so you can't hear, like sound yeah. dampening. A lot of ghost hunters use that model. Sensory deprivation. Yep. Yeah, yep. there you go. Sensory deprivation. That's the word I was looking for. But yeah, so that's that's where that came up. It all started with the uh, spirit cabinet. Yeah. So, just to pause you. So, in all of the things that uh, I myself researched today and I went through and I found... Uh, uh, I do have one thing that might be considered a small sub-story. And due to the fact that you just mentioned the spirit cabinet, this is where I'll break that part of what I have to talk about in. Um, there was a man, um, probably did most of this stuff in like the 20s era. Uh, his name was James Malcolm Bird. Uh, he was an American mathematician and parapsychologist. Uh, he trained in mathematics and taught as a professor at Columbia University. Um, he actually wrote a book called My Psychic Adventures. Um, James Malcolm Bird went around and what he would do is he would record his adventures while experimenting with the spiritualist movement across the U.S. and Europe. 
Uh, on so, his, like, just visiting people who were doing these things and then writing about it? He would literally go to all of these places and write about it, and in detail. I'll get into that in a second. Ooh, neat. So, on his trip, he noted, uh, and I quote, uh, Physical phenomena which I have witnessed, there are many whose fraudulent production under the given conditions. Um, he referenced his experience around the seance table as where his expertise came from. Um, it goes on to say that Bird was very thorough when he recorded his experiences to, at the seance tables. Uh, he went beyond most of his peers when he included and in what he included in his account of the seances. He would draw pictures of the room uh, to help the reader visualize the setting, um, how the phenomena took place in the rooms. Uh, he would. Specifically draw out where people were around the table, um, how many people were there. Um, that said, Bird's experiences at the seances did not always end in a simple drawing or general statements. Aside from the experiences that he discounted, there were others that he could not dismiss so easily. Hmm. During one sitting, um, and this was actually... so. This was a sitting with a person who, so one of the things that Bird was drawn criticism from uh, was from the magician Harry Houdini. Oh, yeah. Because Houdini did get into the spare list. The movement. Houdini (laughs) spoke out very loudly against the parlor tricks Mm -hmm. tricks that Mm -hmm. the people were doing. And that's where this comes into play. Uh, Bird was investigate well I don't even want to call it investigating at the time he was at a seance and recording the information we'll say he was observing observing we'll, we'll say that um, and it was a woman by the name of Mina Crandon mm-hmm. um, that one in particular uh, drew the criticism of Harry Houdini saying that uh, his conduct in the investigation was no good mm-hmm. um, so what had happened was during this, we'll call it an investigation. Um, during one sitting, Bird was allowed to search the medium's person and clothing for anything out of the ordinary before the seance, as well as wash the medium's hand to be sure there was no trick there. Uh, he tied her to a chair and a pillar. Uh, additionally, Bird was allowed to proceed at having his feet on top of the medium's feet to make sure that she was unable to produce phenomena that way. Uh, this medium was a cabinet medium, uh, meaning she used a large enclosed area to produce various full-bodied apparitions mm. capable of interaction or even walking among the sitters. Uh, the apparitions would touch the sitters as well as make flowers move and the, the very popular, the bell ring. Uh, Bird concluded that there were many whose fraudulent production under the given conditions, uh, but in this one, I can conceive no possible way. Hmm. So, um, Bird was one of those people that did admit that most of it was probably BS, right? Yeah. Most yeah. of it is, you know, the, the Fox sisters yeah. trying to get your money. Yeah, right. yeah, they charged a lot. They made a fortune. Well, if but, you're good at counting people, might as well make a lot of money with it. Right. But also, he apparently did enough of these in his years of travel to realize that some were legit. 
Yeah, yeah. I believe it. I believe some people actually have these gifts. Yeah. Yeah, but they do. That was just my quick story regarding your spirit cabinet there. Yeah, so. no, great. That was awesome. Um, so this next portion of this is I actually wanted to just go ahead and jump into a main topic of everybody's funness. So. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's the big one. I feel like she's staring at me. I am. I am. So very first introduced by a businessman by the name of Elijah Bond on July the 1st. Of 1890, uh, as a very, very innocent parlor game that had no association whatsoever to uh, the occult or to the the divine, until of course uh, spiritualist Pearl Curran made it popular as a divining tool during World War One. Um, yeah, the Ouija board. Yeah. Also known as a spirit board, a talking board, and plenty of other things. The board, as most of you probably know, is just a flat, rectangular piece of either wood, masonite, or plastic. And it has uh, various symbols, letters, numbers, pictures, or even words uh, scrolled onto it. Depends yeah. on which version of a board you pick up. Nowadays, they come in all shapes. And oh yeah, and doormats, do- posters. <laughs> they they area rugs. Yeah, and then some. Yeah, exactly. They're even on clothing, which is crazy. License plate. <laughs> <laughs> they used a little three-pegged triangular-shaped planchette in the middle that was used for a pointing tool for spirits to communicate through pointing out words via the small circle in the center of the planchette. Which also, by the way, the planchette is a French word that means little board. Hmm. Yeah. So English language. Yeah, right. So a little board to play with a... A big board. Bigger board. Or something. Sounds like they're trying to RP to me. Exactly. Exactly. These are DNDers. And so, of course... Back in the day, Parker Brothers was, was the mm. main company who, who created the Ouija board, the talking board. I think they actually even called it a spirit board way back then, yeah, the, like the, on the box. They were huge in the book. Well, they bought it from yeah. this Bond guy is what they did. Yeah, correct, correct. And then since then, it has been inherited into Hasbro from Parker Brothers. So Hasbro owns, owns it now. Um, but of course... These days, it's no longer just a fun, simple little parlor trick. People believe that it's got some pretty serious powers of communication with all sorts of things. The Christian and Catholic churches will tell you, do not touch these things, because they don't necessarily believe in human spirits as much as um, demons of all varieties, lesser, greater, whatever, and they believe that it's, it's just a way for these things to get into your life and cause bad things. Havoc. Exactly, which is kind of a demon's bread and butter, causing havoc. So, yeah, I totally wanted to talk a little bit about Ouija boards because I know that it's such an incredibly hot topic. Some people are all for, some people are all against. And these were huge during the spiritualist movement. And people truly, truly believed that this was one of the best ways to connect with the dead. There was even articles and ads. Um, C.S. Lewis, who was one, yeah. 
Yeah, he actually. Lionel Rich in the wardrobe, yeah. Exactly. He talked all about it. Uh, who was that one really awesome painter who paints all kinds? I can't think of the guy's name. Anyway, there's a painter who paints like scenes that you see in doctor's offices and stuff like that. This guy oh, was awesome. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of his name right off the bat. Right, it's not coming to me. But this guy even painted a picture of a husband and wife sitting at a table playing with a Ouija board. Um, it was everywhere. It yeah. Absolutely just everyday normal behavior to play with these things. Um, so, yeah. I know that you, sir, have a bit of a theory. Y'all are going to love this. About <laughs> the spirit board. So I thought you might want to go over that. I'm going to keep this short. No, we won't. <laughs> I'm going to keep it fairly short, just so that you listeners out there can have your minds blown. I believe that the modern-day tape recorder, digital audio recorder... EVP machine as it is is nothing more than a modern day Ouija board the Ouija board was a device used to talk to spirits what do we do with EVPs we record them to talk to spirits and we kind of listen to it rather than talk but I know what you mean, you mean the point is read. the board the recorder these things are all just tools tools in whatever kit you believe in whatever kit you use uh, it's all tools for communication. So I would like, I would challenge you to counter my point and say that a tape recorder is any different than a Ouija board. Facts. The only, I'm not disagreeing with you whatsoever. The only difference in the Ouija board and a tape recorder is the absence of the other two people trying to play this game. Because if I remember correctly, I never played with the Ouija board, but I don't know if you guys did. Oh, yeah. Did you have to have. Two to three people playing the game. You couldn't do it by yourself, so correct? You're not the, supposed to do it by yourself. It, right. okay. it is actually one of the rules is do not play it by yourself because it can create a bit of a, <laughs> I don't know, connection between you and whatever's on the other side to give it more ability to enter your body, oppress you, suppress you, right. or even possess you. Yes. I would say that's the only difference, is it? Yeah, you can say when we're ghost hunting, we're all kind of there. So, yes, in a way, you are correct. Um, and you should see the smug look on his face right now. Oh, it's man, hilarious. it's nothing. But, uh, <laughs> um, no, in these two shared stories, and I will kind of go into mine now. Um, I had a really difficult time with this one, mostly because I was hangry. But... Hanger is a real thing. I... I couldn't find a story on this. Yes, there's a bunch of history and stuff like that that goes along with this movement. But I couldn't find one to that particularly piqued my interest to have me talk about it because it, it's it's all con, con stuff. Almost cussed. I apologize. But it's almost, it's all con stuff. Yes, there are true stuff out there. There are real people who can actually talk to these things, have them talk to them back. There are real people out there who have these abilities like that. But for the most part, the spiritualist movement is my biggest pet peeve. I really hate fake people. I can't stand them. I'd just rather kick them off the earth and deal with them. With this, like you said, the Fox sisters, mm. some of the other people that faked it, and the, the medium that you talked about in there. Con artists, money grubbers. Yes. It, it, it's the exploitation of people. And yeah. it, it, even to this day, it has really taken aback the paranormal society and on hold because now everybody thinks when you 
I'm sure all our listeners, if you are into the paranormal and researching it, going out there and hunting, when you go to the bar, do you mention that you're a ghost hunter? Or do you mention the things that you see because you're afraid of that backlash from people? Maybe not so much now. Maybe there are a few of you out there who don't care. But for the majority, I'm sure we kind of keep that section to our lives like only to the people that do it with us we talk about it. As we both know, Joe, my wife is one of those people that doesn't oh, yeah. care. So, yeah. Uh, if, I would I would estimate it at about the 66% range. Don't talk about it at the bar. Right. Because you're afraid of that backlash, somebody saying this, and whatever have you. Not me. I let my freak flag fly. <laughs> and I, I appreciate that wholeheartedly. I really do. Because I would rather deal with that than deal with these naysayers out there who, because they don't believe in it or because they can't understand it, mm-hmm. sit there and either pick apart in a negative way or um, just being an all-around douche nugget. Uh, I look at it in public and talking about it in public as almost as bad as talking about politics. Oh, yeah. Either... You're, you're going to hear about it, and you're going to have somebody pick it apart, and this and that. And that doesn't even really bother me so much as the people that are, to be fair, uh, like, how do I put this in the night? Just batshit crazy. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Oh, we've like, all done. So it's, it's one end of the spectrum or other. You don't generally just get normal people that are like, right. hey, I think that's cool, too. Like, And I just I don't want to deal with those two conversations. And I'll even go on the reverse side of the coin for this. Have you ever been somewhere and someone brought up to you the paranormal and you automatically had those thoughts like, man, this person's weird. And you're like, wait, I do it. What am I talking about? Have you ever had those? No, because I it's haven't. actually kind of hilarious. You have at one time. I We used to go to the bars together before we got, you know, older oh, and more mature. Right. Uh, we still do every now and again. Not mature, just older. But uh, <laughs> there was a girl that brought it up to Teresa one day about the paranormal and the girl was reared before that. <laughs> Yeah. And kind of irked Teresa's ire a little bit. So, so yeah, to preface, though, you have to make sure that you that you point out that right. and this I did. person was just... Plain weird. Yeah. yeah there, was, and, there was something not right with her. And to going back to the story that I related to this, um, as I've stated on previous podcasts, I grew up in a Christian family. I have my faith. Am I religious? Thank God, no. Am I spiritual? Yes. I believe in what I believe in. Most people nowadays do it for fake. They do it for show because they want the the atmosphere that comes along with it. Like, look at me, I'm so good. But yet they go out and they commit atrocious atrocities on the weekends and then go in on Sunday and forget or forgiven for all their sins. Exactly. Um, I am not like that. I'm a messed up person. I know that. I admit it. I admit my flaws. That's what makes me human. With this, though, the as I was going to the Christian school that I went to, we would kind of go around to other churches and kind of tour, you know, like a field trip, because where else does a Christian school go? A church for a field trip. It's great. Yeah. We went to a Catholic church one day. Now, mind you, I'm Christian. I am not Catholic. But they, for some reason or another, took us to a Catholic church went in there and I was speaking at the time about something that I had saw as I stated in the first podcast my first kind of foray into the supernatural was certain things I was talking to a priest about it of all people and he called me the antichrist wow that just jumps right up there doesn't it because I said something that challenged 
not just his belief, but the belief of his church. Which I related to him, the actual thing I saw that got me into the supernatural. Mm. He said, I'm full of poppycock and I am the Antichrist. And then abruptly bout faced and walked away. That's amazing. Which I want to have that Al Pacino moment in that one movie where he sticks his finger in the holy water and it bubbles. bubbles. I wanted that so bad just in that moment, but I could. Listen, <laughs> the fact of the matter is we are not knocking uh, the Catholic religion as a whole. No, no, we no. We know no. that there are good eggs and bad eggs in every direction. No, what, no, I, what I would, I'm knocking, honestly... I going to say that, but... What I, what, I would, what I would say I personally am knocking is, is assholes. Yes, I, that's actually what I was going for, is the person itself that... Yeah. Which brings you back around full circle to our discussion. Exactly. <laughs> right. And, and the, the Which moral I was getting of the there. story is don't be a dick. If you right. agree with somebody, great. Talk. Fly your free flag with them. If you do not agree, that's okay. You don't have to. We don't all have to agree on anything. We don't have to agree on our favorite color or our favorite president or who we want to vote for. We don't have to agree whether or not we believe the spirits exist. Be polite. Just be like, eh, not my thing. And walk away. You don't have to be a dick. True. However, <laughs> there are those people that deserve it. Um, yeah. And I think if you are into, no, no, let me preface it by saying this: the people that charge money for for things, for services, and then they fake it. Yo, that's poopy. Those kind of people deserve the ire and all that. I mean, con artists um, suck no matter. Yes, what and on. I truly believe that's what the spiritualist movement was, which is just a bunch of carnal artists taking advantage of other people who were genuinely curious about the other side and things that were out there. And, and honestly, probably a solid 75% of it, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, and like you said, it started in World War II, and people took advantage of those good-hearted, natured people that just wanted to know what happened to their loved ones. Exactly. Now, on the flip side... There are people out there who actually do have those abilities that can actually help out, but they were foreshadowed by the car artist. Yeah, that's why I was saying the other day when I, um, I think that the spiritualist movement took a whole lot of history of what would then become ghost hunting and popularized it, but at the same time also very much demonized parts of it. Yes, yes. Well, at the same time, uh, let me finish up a couple of talking points here uh, because that is a good segue into what I found. Uh, so what I found, and I will give this woman her credit, um, Stephanie Bingham is her name, and she wrote a master's thesis in 2012. Uh, it was called The Psychic Bridge, The Spiritualist Movement in America. What I'm specifically going to reference here is section two of her paper that anybody out there can find online. It's 111 pages long. I'm not going to read all of it. Uh, section two is referred to as science and the seance. So the entertaining part is Interesting. it goes with what you're saying. And I'm going to start off with a quote from Richard Hofstetter. Um, who in 1944 said this, science, it is believed, it was believed, has now drawn the last line in its picture of a self-contained universe in which matter and energy are never destroyed but constantly changing form, whose varieties of organic life were integral, intelligible products of the universal economy. So, 
Now what I'll mention is a couple of guys, and I am literally going to call them the godfathers of what we do. The godfathers of ghost hunting. Okay. Um, in 1852, there was a man named Benjamin Franklin Cooley, uh, hmm. who went so far as to put electricity as the most important element in spirit communication. Uh, he went on to say that we see by experiments in electrical psychology that the medium through which impressions are conveyed from the operator to the subject is electricity. Uh, another man, Lears, suggested that the advent of the x-ray and other scientific breakthroughs, uh, the odd and paranormal nature of science, appeared natural to people at the time. Um, one of the leading motivations of the spiritualist movement was for the spiritualists, these guys like Cooley, to be able to associate their phenomena with science, which is why I refer to them as the godfather right, of ghost right. hunting. Now we're finding a way that people can't argue with what we're doing. Exactly. Um, let's see here. But they still do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they do and yeah, they right. always will. I guess. Right. Uh, so, Benjamin Cooley wrote a book. It's called An Exposition and an Explanation of Modern Phenomena Called Spirit Manifestations. Uh, the medium through which impressions are conveyed from the operator to the subject is electricity. Have you read that part? Um, so, yeah. Uh... So Cooley and this other guy, um, they did a lot of work with electrical conditioning and electricity and magnets and anything they could do to help prove some of this stuff was real. Right. Just realizing that if they attached this to a science, then the scientific community itself had to at least look at it. They couldn't just ignore it. Make it some sort of credibleness, yes. Absolutely. So, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of good information in this thesis. Um, it is all cited, and there's clearly a lot of books that you can read on it. Um, I just thought it was super entertaining. I thought it was interesting that... Um, it just it felt like the beginning of ghost hunting for me. Like you're, you're literally. I mean, essentially, doing, yeah. Yeah, they're using the same tools we do, but I mean, clearly not the same tools, but what right. they had then. Yeah. I mean, you're you're not wrong in that is in the fact that they use the scientific. We touched on that last episode mm -hmm. that the science does have a place in the paranormal Absolutely. investigations because that's how we use to find stuff out. And let's be honest, science find stuff out every day about human life and earth and all that whether they're right or wrong is up for debate but still it's yes that's what it's all about is finding ways to be credible with what we see on a daily basis or a non-daily basis or when we do investigations right so so on that note um what are we going to talk about next week um i wasn't where we were done talking about this yet. I was kind of enjoying it. Yeah, but we're only at the 40-minute mark. <laughs> okay. Um, I do so, believe it's Alex's turn to come up with the theory. On, or and the I'll discussion. do that. But you know what? 
we're going to go to like the 50th minute mark and then we'll wrap up the episode. Well, um, then I would really love to talk about spirit photography. We're all right. Well, hold on. <laughs> okay, hold on. So, I wanted to touch on one last thing, and I, I think this is—it's—it's it's different for me, and it's entertaining, and I, I really want to get you two's take on this. Um, and I think it came from New York all the time. <laughs> I think that it really defines. So we called it the spiritualist movement. Uh, there was a man by the name of Thomas J. Hudson. Uh, so Hudson wrote a bunch of books on this. One of his main studies that was, he was trying to prove the existence of the dual mind, uh, that people have two, two minds. Uh, backed up his claims by several types of science, such as medical surgery, anatomy, hypnotism, to validate, to validate the, the existence of the dual mind. Um, now, interestingly enough, Hudson's work ends with the story of Lazarus and a connection to Christian faith. Hmm. In the story, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and communicated mm -hmm. with him. Hudson used this to tie the spiritualist actions back to biblical accounts of Jesus' miracles. Interesting. Yeah. The point to this was, in certain aspects of spiritualism, um, the, the what you would consider detractors, uh, and much like ghosts, I believe that, especially in the scientific community, is probably more prevalent. Like they try to take religion out of things. So yeah. much like the existence of mediumship and this and that, uh, one of the things that Hudson was trying to do for his faith in Christianity was to give it a definitive science so that the science community could no longer ignore that right. either. Right. Nice. That way they don't think it's just some Christian kook right. talking about some stuff. Yeah. Oh, and just a little side note, because I'm a humongous geek, you said about hypnotism. Hypnotism was originally created by some uh, gentlemen named Swedenborg and Mesmer. Uh, Mesmer, um, yeah, created all kinds of crazy techniques with hypnotism. Very cool. Yeah. I've, I've never been hypnotized. I've never been attempted to be hypnotized, um, so I can't really speak same. to it. I don't, yeah. really... <laughs> I, I don't want to do the chicken dance, so... <laughs> yeah. I don't trust you two. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I don't blame you, uh, because I would record it. Um, Fair. But no, uh, upon what you were touching on in there, that's a, that's a very interesting way, because a lot of times religion and science doesn't go together. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's actually very interesting that he tried to do it. I would actually like to really talk to that dude, because he seems like he knows what's up. But, uh, yeah, that, that's when you brought up Lazarus, because, yes, Jesus did rise him three days later. And it's one of the most hilarious passages in the Bible to me because it... it sorry, I'm getting a little bit nerdy with this. It's fine, go. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's funny to me because and I actually laughed out loud in school with this, and I got in trouble for it. But it, as Jesus is rising, rising Lazarus from the dead, mind you, it's been three days one of the girls standing next to him, which I apologize, I forget her name. She goes, Lord, don't do this. He surely stinketh. Oh <laughs> and I busted out loud laughing like that's hilarious. I have a weird sense of humor, sorry. But um, no, that's interesting that he used that as a go-between for that. Yeah. Like, because you could also use Jesus Christ resurrecting. Now, yeah, people say like, oh, it's Jesus Christ, son of God. He can obviously do it. But 
that's my mind is going a mile a minute right now. That's that's so. Thank you for that. Well, yeah. <laughs> so to wrap that part up, um, again, uh, the guy's name was Thomas J. Hudson. Uh, he wrote a book which that can be found in. Uh, the book is called A Scientific Demonstration of the Future Life. Um, to wrap it up, the final point that he was trying to make is that while the movement attempted to prove the existence of ghosts with the use of science, their ultimate goal was to provide concrete proof that Christianity was the true faith. Yeah. Huh. That's so interesting. That is very interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, you're going to have to give me that website later. I want to read that. Uh, that could be my literature when I'm in a laboratory. But, um... <laughs> Uh, so we're coming up on the mark, I believe. So does anybody have anything else to say, or I mean, are we good on wrapping I this up? seriously could keep you for like another 45 minutes talking about the White House and seances and Mary Todd Lincoln introducing seances to the White House and how uh, our lovely President Lincoln decided that, you know, since World War One was dragging on and on and on, he was going to turn to the spirits just like his wife and try to figure out what was going on. And, and how to come to a peaceful resolution of the war. I could talk to you about spirit photography for a hundred years. And okay. this is where we cut it off. <laughs> this is what I will say then. For those of you who are listening, and for those of you who started following us, again, we thank you so much for that. Um, if you would like to hear us talk more about this, please send us emails, comment. Let us know if you would like to talk more about this, because obviously we can talk about this all night long. Mm. Um, uh, and to be fair, with any of these topics... Um, Part twos are always an option down yeah. the line. Uh, we want to hear what you guys want to hear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so thus far, this is episode four, and we are really just talking about stuff that we think might be interesting to you. But um, the reality of it is we want to know what interests yeah. you. What topics do you want us to cover and, and BS about? Because we would love to do that. Um, in the meantime, though, feel free to send us those messages at nolightsparanormal at gmail.com. You can visit us at nolightsparanormal.com. You can also visit us at nolightsparanormal on Facebook. Or, of course, share this podcast, like this podcast, and uh, we'll see you in what's the next episode going to be, Alex? Uh, I thought you were going to forget about it. Um, so... Just a quick rundown. Um, as you can see, so generally I think the idea is that we were going to go over hauntings and more specifically um, hauntings not from Ohio, where we're from. We just thought that would be kind of cool. Uh, but just the lesser known places themselves. You know, everybody knows about Waverly Hills. Everybody knows about Mansfield Prison. Everybody knows about the Trans-Allegheny Asylum. Um, and I do want to let you guys know that are holding on for the ghost stories that we will be getting back to those. I absolutely promise you, you are going to hear all about our adventures at Waverly and Mansfield and the Newport Memorial Building. And, and New also Orleans ones coming up. <laughs> and so many other things. Well, that's a different podcast that's in the works. So, yes. Anyways, um, so yeah, the point I was getting at is we're kind of, I, I just want to share with you guys that. We're making a big loop uh, because a lot of ghost hunting is theory and hypothesis and many things like that. There's, yes. no, there's no real educated science to it, all right? That's no, kind of a big guess. <laughs> um, so the idea is that our first few episodes, we'll just go around this big, round loop, and 
let you guys know what we think about certain things. That way it makes more sense that when we start discussing these hauntings and specific things that may or may not have happened in these hauntings, then you'll understand where our opinion comes from when we discuss these hauntings and we... Exactly. And I'm not above being disproven. If you disagree with me... Oh, please do. For the love of all that is holy, please shoot me an email. Tell me you disagree. Tell me why. Back it up with some info. That I might change my opinion if you give me some educated information. Listen, me and Alex have argued with her enough. She is exactly right on that. You have to prove her wrong. <laughs> also, she will not change her opinion. <laughs> anyway, so, yes, topic for next week is Fae hauntings. He was going to say Fae wild, which is a D&D term, which he yelled at me before. So that's hilarious. Um, I was not. I was not going to say that. Well, that's because Joe totally said Fae wild. I did. I, I totally RP'd that. So, yep, we're going to talk about the Fae. So, yeah, we'll see you in the next episode. So, yeah, thanks, you guys, again. And trust us, we are ramping up here. We're trying to get some things done, but we appreciate all that you guys are listening to and following us. So thank you again very much for that. And you guys have a pleasant evening. Good night. Oh, one quick other thing. Uh, It was brought to our attention. We are actually working on a few things. And one thing that we forgot to mention that we are working on is we are working on merch. We oh, have a logo. Right. We are going to work on some merch. Well, hold on. We don't have a logo. We have an awesome logo. We have an awesome logo. <laughs> so, our, and I'm going to go ahead and shout him out, actually. Tattoo artist down in Knoxville, Tennessee. His name is Brad O'Neill. He's at Colorbox Tattoo. Um, he is absolutely phenomenal. He is a very dear friend of ours. Uh, he completely drew and came up with our logo, uh, the broken light bulb. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be on merch. So, it's coming. But if you're in the Knoxville area... Get yourself an appointment with one of the best damn tattoo artists in the Knoxville area. All right, guys. Have a good night. See you later.